what I'm really trying to tap into is what are what is the why behind why the person is here and try to keep going back to that because some of this isolation some of this working independently I think can make us all feel like what's it all for right So, hey, Jana, um, it has been such a long time since we've talked. Thank you so much for having me. I always love working with you and Mark and the team at Sales Globe, but it's nice to talk to you about business and life as well. So thank you for having me. Jana is president of Quisitive, a payment solutions company. She is the former CEO of Ecova, now NG Impact, and Harlan Clark. Yes, that household name in checks. Janet is on the forefront of innovation always, whether it's technology, sustainability, whatever may be the the big issue of the day. Janet, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to Riding the Big Wheel. Okay, so it has been such a long time that we've spoken. You have had a lot of personal changes. You uh, moved into a new home. You've had some professional changes with your new role at Quisitive, which I'm very excited to hear about. And you're also on the board of a couple of PE firms, one in sustainability, energy, um, software and services, and the other one in fintech. I mean, two areas that you know an awful lot about. So I'd love for us to just talk a little bit about what's going on with you and what you're doing. Um, So share with us what's happening in, in your life today. Thank you. Thank you. Personally, uh, life is great. My husband and I decided recently that we were going to downsize a bit. All of our kids are grown. We have little ones that they have born, but we love to have over, but we didn't quite need the space we had. So we made that hard decision. We're at that time of life where we're not continuing to get bigger and bigger. Like when did that happen? You know, when you're growing (laughs) up, it's always bigger and better. And now we're like, maybe we'll just shrink a bit now. And um, our ultimate goal is to have a lake house where we're going to spend a lot of time with our family and and long term. So we're moved. But at the same time, I did start uh, as a new um, in a new role as president of Quisitive, the payment solutions part of the business. And this is really building on a lot of the things you mentioned that I've done for a long time, although it's taking what I learned at Harlan Clark and financial services. And we were a payments company of of sorts, not really um, a true payments company, but we certainly engaged in the space. We had a hundred million dollar cards business. We had a big marketing services business, but um, it also builds on the technology um, characteristics we had at the energy company where we uh, rebuilt our entire platform in the cloud. And so here I am now at what we consider to be the first world's first complete full stack acquiring, clearing and settling payment processor that is done in the cloud. So when you think about payment processing, the legacy payment processing and some very good um, companies that have been at it a long time, like First Data, which is now owned by Fryserv or Tesis, which is now owned by Global Payments. um, They do a remarkable job. They're just doing it in technology that is um, dated. And we are building a new a new approach to payment processing using the cloud. Azure um, with Microsoft is our 
um, choice there. We have a great relationship with Microsoft, a, a world-class partnership, and they've been really by our side all the way. In fact, when we started this process, Microsoft helped us with the build with to wow. get us started in, in building our payment processing platform. So we are just a few months from going fully live and to be in general release and to start serving the market in a very big way. Um, we are going to start with an, an ISO we own, which is an um, independent selling organization that resells mm -hmm. payment processing services. We have one of our own, Bankcard USA, phenomenal group of people, and they will be our first set of merchants or businesses moving to our payment processing cloud-based platform. So tell me how it's going to, you know, like from a, a user perspective, does it feel any different? What, what's a little bit different from what's happening today? Or, or tell me a little bit about what's yeah, changed. The experience, yes. So first and foremost, what I love is being market-driven. Like my whole career, I love thinking yeah. about how will this affect the people who use it? And those people who use payment processing aren't really the consumers so much as the businesses mm -hmm. and it are the companies that support the businesses. So I mentioned independent sales organizations um, reselling payment processing services. If our payment processing platform is much easier to work with, a much better um, reporting experience, a much better portal that gives those independent sales organizations a lot more insight about their merchants and their payment processing uh, practices, that's going to make that independent sales organization or it, also those independent um, software verticals or uh, what we call ISVs, our integrated software verticals. Um, those organizations are also going to get a much superior experience, much easier to integrate to, much easier to use and, uh, and leverage on a day, day basis. But also the merchants, the businesses, they will have a better platform designed for today's experiences if you can imagine how much things like amazon have changed the way we shop as consumers consumers are yeah. just businesses right and businesses are just represented by consumers so those merchants those businesses will be using a cloud enabled platform that is more consistent with what they might expect on a normal basis no green screens none of that kind of thing um, which is going to make their lives easier as well so being market driven is first and foremost in my mind and using mm -hmm. cloud-enabled technology is going to enable us to give people better insight, better information, better usability, and a better experience. I think that's fantastic. So um, let's talk a little bit about things that have changed, right? And, and what you're seeing um, as we've gone through a pandemic, right? So the pandemic, oh my God, it's changed. Let's talk about business first and, and just how companies are going to market. So what we're seeing is, well, you know, we're a consulting firm and we serve uh, sales organizations, sales effectiveness. And you still have the challenge where companies are, if they're not in an office, they're hybrid, right? Or they might be remote. And so buyers and sellers, you know, and just how they interact, it's very different. Now in your space with, um, with Quisitive, it might not be as different if you're serving retail, but I'm thinking about the connectivity of like people and like even buyers and sellers. Oh my goodness. Imagine like when I grew up in sales and when I started in 1990 in Seattle, Washington as a sales rep, you know, we had breakfast, lunch, and dinners with clients. Yeah. We had in-person meetings. There was so much face-to-face -face engagement that today is just not possible because even if my sellers are out and about working as they normally were, 
the buyers may be working from home with their right. children yeah. present, right? So it is so different the way we have to talk to people and the use of business development reps reaching out uh, electronically on email or text or by phone, um, sales development reps taking those leads for marketing and nurturing them. But a lot of it is being done um, digitally today. And I think that that is, you know, to your point, it's a big change. I don't think we can avoid it. I think it's a reality, but I also think there's a saturation point with people with digital communications and digital relationships um, that, uh, you know, it's going to see how it's going to play out. I'm, I'm really excited when I have the opportunity to be in person with a client or with my own team. Um, there's an energy that comes from it that is just not easily replicated in any digital format, but I don't know that we'll ever go back to having that kind of level of engagement that we once did. I think the early bird still gets the worm. I think it is still a matter of um, how you can connect with people and find a way to show them you understand them. Although through digital channels, that's still going to be just as important, but it is going to be interesting to see how our, you know, the not just our sales, but kind of our relationship building, how it's going to be affected by long-term use of digital channels for communication and relationship building. Yep. Yeah. You know, I feel the same way about it. I'm thinking about, so I've got a daughter who graduated from college and, you know, she's, um, she didn't take a job. I mean, she's like just doing some waitressing and traveling, right? She just has a whole different perspective on work. You know, it's like, what am I going to do? I don't really want to sit in an office. I've been home. Right. And, um, you know, but, but what do I do? And then I've got another nephew who basically got a job out of school just as the pandemic was happening and he had to work from home. He ended up quitting two different jobs because he said, I'm not around any people. And I'm like 24 now. And I I just feel really isolated. So I'm still trying to, you know, think about, I'm thinking about younger people that are coming up into the workforce. I'm thinking about us, right? I I think that um, we probably have a little bit better handle on it. And I don't think it's a bad thing to connect digitally, as long as you've still got the in-person component. I think when you lose, when you lose the in-person component, you do lose some magic there. And I I think you lose creativity. I mean, you and I've had the opportunity to meet in person dozens of times. So we have this foundation that's built on rock, right? That is uh, as a result of lots of in-person engagement, lots of work we've done together at prior companies. And so being digital now is just, it works for us because we have so much of a foundation together. I think you're right about younger people who've never had that opportunity to build those relationships digital communications on top of foundational relationships may be just fine. And for our generation, we may have the blessing of having had those. I do worry about people like your nephew at 24 to be sitting in their apartment alone. Um, and I worry about those younger kids too. Like some of the, we talked about grandkids and nieces and nephews that are younger too, that have just, they get so much of their interaction on social media as there is a proxy for human to human interaction. And, so I don't know. I think we're going to have to shake it up and get back out there and get, yep. get ourselves back out there. But this has become a habit to not go anywhere. Right. My husband will be like, hey, let's go out to dinner on a Saturday night. I'm like, eh, let's just eat at home. <laughs> and so we're really forcing ourselves because we, it's become a habit to not go anywhere. Whereas 
in, you know, March, 2020, it was a habit to always go somewhere. Right. And so we have to break it and shake it up a little bit and get back out there. And then when you finally do, you're like, oh yeah, because it was so, so much glad. better. Yeah. You know, it's so much better. Yeah. yeah. Yes. All right. So let me ask you this, um, as a leader, um, as a leader, uh, that's running an organization that's an innovation forefront, I assume a lot of technology. So, yes. you know, I would like to know though, where are your people working? How do you connect with them? And then I'll move on to another question on some advice you might yeah. give some leaders, but um, our people are everywhere. I mean, philosophically, I've always had the position that I cared more about the people in the seat than where the seat sat. Yes. But it's an extreme scenario today. But we have a lot of people in Denver. We have people in Dallas. We have, I have a leader in Indianapolis. I have one in Mexico. We have people in India. We have people in Argentina. We have people everywhere. So we've got to be good at connecting. Um, having said that, we are trying to have more in-person meetings. And at times we're in really critical development cycles. We are trying to get together in person, maybe for the week, so that people are able to look up over their screen and say, hey, what happened to the code? What did you do here? And mm -hmm. they have that immediate feedback. Um, teams, uh, when you look at our Teams chats, it looks like the uh, New York Stock Exchange, you know, uh, stock ticker. It's just like constant communication. But there's... Yeah nice to be in a room where we have really important stuff to talk about to be in person. So we are doing a lot more of that at, at my insistence, because I feel like we're always so much better when we leave an in-person meeting, more aligned, more connected, more got done, all of that. But, yeah. you know, we're going to have to adapt to not always being able to do that. I think for, for people, um, I, you know, right now, what I'm really trying to tap into is what are, what, is the why behind why the person is here and try to keep going back to that because some of this isolation, some of this working independently, I think can make us all feel like what's it all for. Right. Um, yeah. And am I doing, you know, we used to talk about live your passion, all that. I'm not sure I ever bought into that. I think doing really good work and feeling fulfilled by it and helping others has always been my drive. I'm not sure I would have said anything is my passion. And I don't tell my kids to live their passion either. I think there's, you know, personal life is a lot of where your passion comes from in my own experience, but I need to know what their why is. Why are they here? And why do they give the long hours? And why do they, you know, fight through the challenges and all of that and reconnecting to that all the time is really important always, but it is more important now than ever because people may just choose to opt out, opt out of work, opt out of this work, opt out and do something entirely different. You know, I, I need to make sure I'm really connecting with what, why people are there. So I really love that you just said what you did about connecting with the why, because this leads to another question and actually something that I've observed that I, I actually find it frustrating. What I believe, I believe a lot of bad things came out of this pandemic, but we know yeah out of a lot of really difficult times and tragedy, a lot of great things can happen, including innovation. We know for a fact yeah. that that if history as it repeats itself, that happens. So I think about, we have, we have reached such a great time when people, we did that big experiment, right? Like a Petri dish, everyone was home overnight. It yeah. wasn't, um, it wasn't really pretty at the beginning. We went through yeah. a lot of ups and downs. The technology has proven it's there. And now, leaders are saying we need to get back to work, right? So 
Um, it's been to me a little frustrating because I feel like we're at the perfect time where employees and employers can come together and say, okay, we've been home all the time. Probably not mm. the best, even though maybe I liked it. Other people, maybe not. I happen to like coming yeah. in, uh, but mm. everybody is entitled to their own. I also enjoy that day home, you know, working from home. Um, and then you've got employers saying, we're not getting the productivity or, you know, you need to be in. And there's a perfect time. I believe for people to come together and say, okay, let's talk about what's going to work. But what I see is a lot of employers, leaders, as well as employees digging their heels in and saying, no, I'm not coming in. I'll find something else. And the employer saying, well, then you can come in all the time. You know, and yeah. it's like, I think they're losing the why. So I'm just curious yeah. um, from your perspective. And I, I love the why piece. Like if I'm an employee and an employer, what advice would you give them? And, you yes. know, I don't know what you're seeing. That's just what I seem to be seeing is this clash when I think we've got a really awesome opportunity to make a significant change to make life, you know, work life better for everyone. Right. It is funny. Right before the pandemic, I was driving to work and we both live in Atlanta and I was driving downtown and I was like, my goodness, the amount of time I spend commuting. And, yeah. you know, back to my, what's it all for kind of thing. Like, is this what my life is meant to be that I spend an hour and a half each way in Atlanta traffic mm -hmm. with an accident, you know? So it was kind of odd timing, but what I I'm trying to do is get like different committees of people who do different types of work and ask, yeah. what are we trying to achieve and what's the optimal way of achieving it and have those conversations happening um, with the, with the teams who want to get work done um, but also with the leaders to say, what are some of the ideal ways we can work in this new environment? And I think that there has to be a lot of flexibility in that. Um, because even if I demand people come back in, the world has not demanded that. And you have kids that are out sick a lot more right now. You have a lot of other uh, things tugging at people. Um, and so there has to be a, a bit of a, a re-examining of what people's home lives look like today hmm. and are their kids home like they are they in school like they once were are their spouses doing the same kind of work that they once were there's just a lot of um change that has happened as a result that we have to re-examine so i like these subgroups of people depending on the type of work that has to be done right so what is the best way to do it and like the engineering team we're building up a, a world-class software platform so I've got engineers everywhere. I need to know from them what optimizes their work. And some of them work. I've got an amazing guy in Norway. We've got uh, people all across the world. What, you know, so this is, ironically, some of my team works during the day. Some of them work during the night because that's their style. I've got a couple of, like one guy who's like, I just want to be a contractor because I like to work, work weird hours. He does the highest yeah. quality of work. And I'm not going to change that, right? I'm not going to say you've got to work my work hours because he is such a high level contributor. I have to be flexible on what, on what I'm trying to, how we're going to work in order to get what we want to get out of it. But the team, we have to have structure to it though. It can't be a, a, everyone does whatever they want, whenever they want. I have to know what I can count on. So there has to be some structure to it. We have to have some agreements on how it's going to work. And it's got to work for the team. Um, so I do think there has to be structure. Uh, there has to be agreements on that. But as employers, we've got to be flexible because while you can demand something of me, what, where I live, how I live, my family, 
it may have all changed too. So I, I think you have to be more sensitive to all of that. So now I want to talk to you about um, a book that I'm reading. I'm reading The Changing World Order. And, you know, this I found to be a really fascinating book because what he did was he studied like the fat last 500 years of the great economies, right? The great um, leading yeah. world powers of which the U.S. was there, the Dutch and the British. Yeah. And what he did talk about is how history does repeat itself. And we're always taken by surprise when something yeah. happens. Yeah. And he also talked about, you know, you can look at those indicators, but I'd love to hear how you're weathering through yourself as a leader and then what you think could be next. Yeah, I love Ray Dalio as well. Um, I mentioned to you earlier, the book, The Principles was pretty um, uh, life changing for me. I think that Ray Dalio, he's such an objective um, studier of history, as you said, but he's also a really strong um, studier of human behavior. And, you know, one of the things I love is the way he talks about um, the principles and what it looks like to reflect on your own behavior and your own weaknesses and, and how to, uh, make sure that you're leading with your, with your mind and you're open and intentional, yeah. but in terms of the um, changing world order, which I'm also reading, um, you know, one of the things it worries me is all these indicators of civil war, actually, that he talks yeah. about that it's like, my goodness, but also the uh, the rising influence of China, the diminishing influence of the United States and the potential of the fiat currency being replaced. There's a lot of things that are coming together. Um, you know, I think I, I wish we would all be more curious about what he's saying, because as you said, it's history does repeat itself. And there are things America can do to rise up and continue to um, maintain its strength, um, yeah. in the world. I don't, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion only because I don't think that some of the other world powers are a foregone conclusion that they can rise up. I'm not sure. Look at what's going on right now with the riots in China yes. um, over COVID and Xi Jinping. Um, you know, look at what's happening in Iran with women asking for more rights there. There who knows about how much our spirits have changed as a result of the pandemic and as a result of, in many of those countries, the oppression. Um, but even in America, our, I think our ability to seek to understand one another instead of being so sure we're right is, yeah. is a problem. And that's what my husband and I talk about all the time is like, seek to understand, seek to understand the position. And we have a bunch of boys that are kind of our adopted, one of our bonus sons um, that, a boy I met on the airplane six or seven years ago, he basically has become one of our children and mm. he comes from a different life from us. And we talk about it all the time about like, how do you, you know, in Georgia, for example, like, what do you see about these different Senate candidates? And what do you see about these different governor uh, candidates for governor? And, you know, what is, what do you like? What don't you like? And so we're learning from each other and seeking to understand. And I feel like that, that at work, I'm trying to do that more. There's a, a, a gentleness and a kindness that has been replaced by a sharp edge in, in yeah. my own experience that we're just trying to take it down. And all I can do is do it for myself and my husband and, and try to understand different points of view better. Because I think if we do all the things that Ray Dalio is talking about, there doesn't need to be a civil war if we better understand each other's positions, because I do firmly believe that America is in the middle. It's just these extreme positions that have yeah. such an outweighted 
influence on what we hear and what we argue about instead of all the things we actually share. It's funny you mentioned that civil war thing because I felt like we were having a series of mini ones in some of these cities. And I have seen, again, um, some, you're right, there is less seeking to understand. And I've been having conversations um, within my family. And I actually met my sister. I saw my one sister, um, she lives in Portland. Since the pandemic, it's the first time I've seen her. And um, we met with my other sister came in from Alaska. And it was really amazing because she, it was the first time. So we have very different viewpoints um, socially, uh, politically, and it's been a problem in the past. I mean, unfortunately, but to, you know, when we met this time, it was, we both just wanted to talk to each other and seek to understand the other viewpoint and understand how we could come together because we, we have seen the divide as well. So I'm with you. I think that we could change the trajectory, but it's going to take a lot of voices out there saying, and then walk in the talk on let's seek to understand and how do we get there? I agree wholeheartedly. But Ray Dalio, I do feel like he's got a playbook for how we can continue to uh, maintain power and, and, and influence and our, the respect of other countries. So I like you really recommend his works and um, the, the principles to me is just a great way to live um, and, I know. and be a better person all the time. I think that's an excellent book to give to young people that might not pick it up right away, but they yeah. will pick it up. Um, I think I told you, I gave one to my partner here um, at sales globe and he loved it, you know, but there's just so much um, that you can learn from that. Yeah. So um, and there's also YouTube, so you can watch yep. some of it there. Amen. Too. And he's also on so. LinkedIn. He posts about every day on LinkedIn. And oh, I, I didn't even know yeah. that. Yeah. He's it's one like of my a favorites. Oh, like a little, uh, a little, you know, infusion of intelligence every day I get from him. Oh, that's really excellent. Okay. I'm going to make sure that I do that. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So I'm going to shift gears. Okay. And I'm going to talk about a little bit about your personal life because I consider you your husband, Jeff, is, is you're an incredible couple. And I consider you my very successful um, <laughs> power couple who I can admire. And I know, right, it looks a little different when we're all at work. But, you know, you've got a CEO and a CEO. You've got a lot going on there. You've got your family and now your grandchildren. And t- talk to us a little bit about, you know, how it's been being a working professional, but, but a leader. Yeah. And having one that is as well, and and just what you guys do to make it work. Yeah. Uh, well, we have a, a saying around the house. So it's Janet and Jeff. We're both start with the J. So we're the team J. We call it all the time. <laughs> and it just means like, okay, things are getting wild. It's team J. How do we divide and conquer? Uh-huh. How do we take uh, and help each other out? You know, it's so fun because we go on walks a lot and we'll talk, like pick a topic. I don't know that we intentionally do it. We always, one of us has always got something at work. We need to like really break down and, and get into, and the other person's always like such great insight and we know each other so well. So we can kind of be like, "Uh, are you sure you're not provoking some of the, you know, what's your role in this? And and that doesn't always end well, but most of the time it does. Um, But we are partners and it's funny because while our careers, we both have had maybe more success than we ever expected or, or, or deserved or whatever. 
um, we also had different periods of time. And so it was kind of mm -hmm. like a jungle gym for us. And we always were doing different parts of our career. Um, you know, one might be going like this, one might be like, I'm going to change my career from this to that. And, um, and so we were always relating to that. And so it's so nice to have a partner like that, but we also always put the family first and the kids first as best as we could, because, you know, you don't make diamond medallion on Delta for like 20 years in a row, whatever it has been for right. both of us and do great. Like, do we have a lot of regrets? Yeah. There's a lot of meetings I didn't need to go to that. I thought were so important. <laughs> if I could actually encourage anyone is like question how important are things, you know, and really, am I going to remember this a year from now? Am I going to remember three years from now? Am I going to remember 10 years from now? Cause most of the stuff I'd be like, eh, I probably should have been my daughter's first grade play <laughs> instead mm. of that meeting. But all that being said, um, we really work as a team. Um, Jeff is great because, you know, females in leadership like mine are a little rarer and um, he has got zero ego about that. Like doesn't care if I'm making more money, have a better position. He, he is just my husband and partner and father, grand, grandfather, all of that. So it's, it's amazing because he's just my biggest supporter and I am the same for him. Um, so I, it sounds so cheesy, but man, did I hit the jackpot with him? He's a great, that's great. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, you said some really key things though. And one is it's not so taboo to talk about work. You guys do. It's almost like you coach each other. And I think that's yeah. excellent. Um, it's equal footing, equal level of respect, each knowing what other one's, you know, rules are, right? Like yes. what your parameters are and, and agreeing to how you want to manage your family. And yeah, you know what, Jana, I got some of those regrets too yeah. around you know, the concerts and the plays or whatever, um, if we could turn the time back. But that's where I say, right, again, getting back to the, I feel like we're at a really wonderful point in time yeah. where we can have opportunities to do that and realize that's important and, you know, still go work and collaborate with your people, but still yeah. make sure that, you know, the family is is all there too, because you can't you can't recreate any of those times, but that's okay. And, and as leaders, we have to, right before I would joined your, the call, yeah. um, someone sent me an IM saying, Hey, we're supposed to meet on Thursday morning, but I just realized I'm doing my son's field trip. Is it okay if I move it around? Absolutely. Like yeah. as leaders, we have a chance to show more uh, empathy and to be more accommodating of things than what I experienced in my early career as a young mom. It was kind of like, you know, just figure it out. You need to be where you need to be. And as a, as a leader, I feel like I'm trying to be much more accommodating of those kinds of things, because if I'm not willing to accommodate it, whoever will, if as, right. as, as leaders, we don't start to change those dynamics and make sure people do show up for things that matter, um, then we're just going to repeat some of the mistakes that we experienced in our own young careers. Um, the other thing I would say that about Jeff and I, that it's nice is because we've had and there's a lot of people career coaches and mentors and friends who serve this role but um we also help collect connect a lot of dots for each other hmm. so for example jeff had a job in i don't know early 2000s um that introduced him to cybersecurity 
And it was something that it was just like a two year thing. He was doing just peripherally around security, went back to IT and professional services, but he fell in love with security then and has, you know, used it, but it was like 10 years later, he started to really use it. And we connect those dots like, Hey, you learned something there that you need now 10 years later. And so we all see that the dots connect over a horizon of a career, even when you're doing something you don't like, or you're working for someone you don't enjoy, or you're learning something that's not in your strength, you will find the benefit of it. Sometimes five years later, 10 years later, it all connects for our good at 30 years. Now I see the, the reason behind everything that's happened. And so now I have the faith to know that things are connecting for my future things. I'm like, why am I doing this? Or What's the purpose of this? I know something is coming that will use those strengths, those skills that I'm building now. So I want to ask you um, one other thing, which is around girl talk. I I am a wild fan of anything that gives girls confidence. And there are a lot of the ones that are girls who code, girls who run, as long as someone finds a place. The one thing about girl talk is you don't have to, there's no qualification yeah. Uh, for it. You just have to be a middle school girl who joins. And I think about girls who at that age, your self-esteem is so precarious. And mm. so many girls are just steam into middle school, you know, guns blaring. And then someone says something about their weight or their clothes, or they're not on invited to a chat group or whatever it might be. And suddenly their self-esteem just plummets and some girls never get it back. And for girl talk, what it does is it connects senior or or high school girls who've been there with middle school girls. And it just like puts a safety net underneath them and helps them to preserve their self-esteem, believe in themselves, believe they can be leaders, um, believe that they can go on to do great things, whatever that is. It's not, it's not like you have to be an awesome person in business, whatever it is, just be your best, know you're awesome, know that you've got um, such worth. And that's what Girl Talk is really about is, is you don't have to qualify to join. You just have to be a girl in middle school who would like the help of an older girl who's been there to help you to maintain your belief in yourself. That's so fantastic. So how do people find out about it, Jana? Well, if you go to, you know, this is like the plug, Girl Talk Inc. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, online or reach out to me. I'd be happy to connect you. We've got an awesome board of directors that we're really growing. We've reorganized and are just hitting the gas pedal. We've just recently got some phenomenal grants. And so, oh, you know, our, our goal is to be serving all of American girls, middle school girls, um, and then see what we can to go internationally. It's a very cost effective um way to reach these girls. So uh, we're, we're, we're hitting the gas pedal and, and really going big time with Girl Talk. I just love that. You know, it's my girls grew up at a time where, oh gosh, social media was just taken off. I remember one of my girls and it was, if she wasn't invited to something, it yes. was really hurtful. And then, you know, they're asking themselves, well, what's wrong with me? Why wasn't I invited? Like, what is wrong? It's totally. just, you know, Ah, So the good side of the social is, you know, when I I remember when I was a kid, when we moved, we just moved from one city to the next, but I may as well left the country because there wasn't that connectivity. Yeah. Now we moved from um, an area of Johns Creek to Roswell, 
But my girls were able to, through Instagram and video, went before they were yeah. driving, they were still able to stay friends with, you know, their, their yeah. friends from elementary school. So yeah. that's the good side of it. The bad yeah. side is all of that self-esteem yeah. and all those other things. Yeah. It's just, uh, I would encourage. I, I'm worried about boys too now more. Yeah. I'm seeing more and more boys who are socially isolated because of COVID and, and the restrictions and things. And I worry, you know, they have not historically had as much of a self-esteem impact in their middle school years as girls, but I'm, I'm worried that some of the social isolation and the reliance on social media, like you were just describing yeah. is suddenly they find themselves very isolated. And so I, I'm worried more about boys than I have been historically. Um, but yeah. girl talk is definitely making a big difference in the lives of the girls who participate. And, um, you know, we just got to take it one person at a time, you know, that's yeah. all we can do. So let me ask you one other question. I keep asking yes. questions when I say we're wrapping up before I get on to a couple of fun things. Oh, this has been super fun for me. Um, Jana, how do you manage your time? So you're on the board of two PE firms, one in sustainability and energy, and the other one in fintech, the fintech space. You're president of a company. You're active in girl talk. You've got your family first, you know, your, your husband, your extended family. And how do you manage your time? Really carefully, actually. Um, and, you know, plan everything out. Um, I schedule a, t a minute for everything. And I'm like the to-do list queen, you know, here's my current. <laughs> if I walk down to the kitchen, there's two to-do lists there, you know, just, it just requires a lot of organization and prioritization. Um, prioritization is a big thing now too. I don't mm -hmm. think I, I just said yes to everything before. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, like I we're not commuting so much. So now I've got that time in the morning to do things I would have been driving to do before. Anyway, I wish there was yeah. a magic to it. I just put everything down on paper. I put everything into my calendar. I don't care if I'm just going for a 15 minute walk. I put it in my calendar because I have to organize for it. Otherwise it just falls off the list. And um, I'm at an age now where if it doesn't make the list, it may not get done. So yeah. <laughs> um, it's all about um, blocking time for things. All right. And do you block time for you? I do. I definitely do. Absolutely. Um, more than I ever used to. That was something like I, I felt prideful or like indulgent if I did. Mm -hmm. Now I just, I just do. I try to block time for all the things that matter to me and I matter to me too. And I'm not my best if I don't restore my energy. I do think about that a lot. Like how do I keep my energy strong for people who are counting on me for people who yeah. I need to show up for if I'm depleted, you know, I can't be my best for them. So I definitely make time for myself. All right. So now I'm going to ask you a couple of fun questions. I think okay. one we've already answered, um, but right. favorite books. Book. Well, you know what? I go back to the classics. So we mentioned the principles by Ray Dalio, yeah. but really the book, business book I use all the time is good to great uh, by Jim Collins. Uh, a couple of principles in there just have stuck with me like, you know, an iron tattoo on my body. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Getting the right people on the bus and then having that really um, rigorous uh, 
disassembly of what your business does, what you're best at doing. Um, can you make money doing it? What do you need to stop doing? And having the truthful, honest um, dialogue about that. You, you know, I've worked through a lot of transformation in yeah. my career. And a lot of that is just having a really honest evaluation of your business. And what should you stop doing? What are you not able to beat, you know, the competitors at or be best in the world at? Jim, Jim Collins really talks about, you know, what can you be best in the world at? what can you make money doing and then how, and what are your people passionate about doing? So all of those things, if you can find that, you can get the flywheel going. And so it's all I do is think about that. Like, what are we really uniquely capable of doing? How can we make good mm -hmm. money at doing it? And do my people, are they qualified and passionate about doing it? If you can find that, you can start that momentum growing. And even at Harlan Clark with its legacy and checks, we were growing that business and, tech enabled marketing services, 30, 40% a year, because we extrapolated what we were good at doing and yeah. um, what our clients wanted to see us do and where we could make money. And so we were shifting from checks to a growth in services that was really foundationally helping that business to outpace the decline of checks with new things. And, and that's what, to me, Jim Collins' book is all about. Hmm. Okay, that's a good one. Um, now, my daughter was sitting there when I was preparing for yes. um, our podcast today, and uh, I said to her, you want to ask a question? She's highly interested in you. So uh, because, yeah, yeah, I told her all about you and she's, you know, heard us talk, heard me talk about you in the past. And we were looking at your LinkedIn. She said, Mom, ask her her favorite. Like, what's her hype song? <laughs> all right. So you know, what is old is new again. So I, there's a, actually a chance your daughter will know this song, but okay. I grew up with ACDC. I'm yes. like a hard rock, hard rock fan at heart. And the song thunderstruck is my walkout song for sure. That thunder. I love it. Gets my heart yes. Yeah. That's it's an awesome song. I love you. Shook me all night. There, I would give you several rock songs, but thunderstruck <laughs> is my number one. Yeah. there's a chance your daughter has an ACDC t-shirt they sell them at Target um, these yes days. my granddaughters them. have them my granddaughters yep, are wearing like Zeppelin and Nirvana I'm like you guys have to actually listen to the music if you're going to wear shirts that by them I so, know and, yeah. she's got the Nirvana one too you're yeah. right um Jimi Hendrix like yeah you know. I'm like yep. mm, tell me a song right yeah, just <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. okay um last question Dress yeah. or pants? What do you prefer and why? <laughs> I, cleaned I cleaned my closet out over this weekend. So I have a ridiculous amount of both that I'm ashamed that I have carried around along my travels. But <laughs> at this point, I love pants. Okay, I have a funny story. I was at a meeting in 1994 because my daughter had just been born in Atlanta. I still lived in Seattle and I come for the meeting and I worked at Harland at the time. So it was a long, long time ago before we merged and all that. Yeah. And CC Morgan, who went on to be an executive at Intuit and was the CEO of Headspace. She walked into a meeting wearing pants and every woman in that room nearly fell out of their chair because <laughs> skirts and dresses were required. And we we're like, what? Yes, they were. A woman can wear pants. So I wear a lot of pants because like, I wore a lot of skirts in, in my time, but I, I like them both, but I, pants are my, my go-to. That is Can you so imagine funny. 1994? I'd never yeah. seen a business woman wear pants. That's not crazy. Your daughter. Oh my God. Yeah. It was required in hose. 
So I Both. remember. Yes. I remember. Oh. Totally. It was part of the dress code <laughs> when we merged. When Harlan and Clark merged, they did a dress code like the first day and pantyhose were required for women. I'm like, well, that was 2007. Oh That's my terrifying. God. I well, did you know, throw away all of those. Oh yeah. Just done. Yeah. So I remember, oh, I was like rebellious. I remember way back when I worked at Accenture, it was late nineties. So when I worked there, I wore like, I was working in Dallas. It was bloody hot. You know how hot Dallas gets now. Yes. yes. So I'm I'm in Dallas and I had on these linen pants and I got busted because I had open toe shoes and I wasn't wearing hose. Oh oh my gosh. You got all covered, but my toes. Code police. Yeah. Coming up. Oh, how far we've come. Thank goodness for the, for that. That was just all, all sorts of wrong. We should have made a lot of men wear pantyhose before they put that in dress codes. (laughs) I know. Anyway, well, that wraps it up for us today. Uh, Jana, thank you so, so much again. It was so great to see you. Really a lot of fun. It was so nice to see you, Michelle. 